You're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. This episode is sponsored by Mission New York. Mission New York exists to support church planters for the Church of the Nazarene in Manhattan, New York City. You should totally go join them. Check out the Mission New York Facebook page for more information. And if you haven't already, check out our conference for young pastors over at youngclergycon.com. Today's interview is with Reverend Janari Suyet Degodoi in Okinawa, Japan. Thanks for tuning in. guest, Reverend January Suyet Degodoy. She is the Asia-Pacific Regional Youth Coordinator. Welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> Thank you. The first question I ask everybody is, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Okay, my story goes back to my grandparents on my dad's side, who were the first ones to become members of the Church of the Nazarene in my family. Well, um, I believe it was Reverend John Patty, uh, who was the missionary during that time, and um, my grandparents were teenagers, and my grandma was attending this church plant, and they were encouraged to go to the Bible school. <laughs> so my grandmother went to the Bible college in the north, where she met my grandfather from another town. So my dad said, since he was in the womb, he called himself a Nazarene. <laughs> but interestingly, that was the same for me. But I don't remember growing up in the Nazarene church because my my vivid memory of the church was when I was six, about six years old. But I think we were in a different church, not the Church of the Nazarene, because a group of young people asked my father to help out with their church plant. So we attended there, and I remember they had some conversations on how to affiliate that that church plant with the Church of the Nazarene, mm. and things did not go out well, I think. Oh, so my family went back to the Church of the Nazarene when I was about eleven years old, oh. and I became a member sh- shortly after that, and stayed with the Church of the Nazarene ever since. So, like you and some others. I think I'm a third generation Nazarene. (laughs) That's awesome. That's great. Kind of tell me about your call to ministry. How did you end up wanting to be a pastor? Um, I believed in the Lord Jesus when I was nine years old and started becoming actively involved in the church when I was 13 years old. And I was given an opportunity to serve in the church at a young age and was trained how to lead worship and teach in Sunday school. Hmm. So I always looked forward to the daily vacation Bible school every summer because I sensed that at a young age, the Lord gave me a passion to teach and share his word. And also when I was nine years old, I had an accident and I was so afraid to die that um, to cut the story short, when I was trapped under the two vehicles that collided, and was dragged down the slope. I said many times over, I'm afraid to die, I'm afraid to die, please forgive me for my sins. I don't wanna go to hell. Mm. And I was just nine years old, but why was I thinking like that? Yeah. So um, my bones were fractured, 
But that was the start to my conversation story. When I was so scared to die and had an awareness of my sin, and I guess it was God's prevenient grace that helped me to recognize my need of Him at age nine. Wow. So I learned about God's love for me, that He died for me, and is willing to forgive me for my sins. So mm. His story became real to me at that moment. And when I felt my, when I placed my trust in Him, I felt the guilt and um, the weight on my shoulders kind of lifted. And after that experience, I became interested in sharing about God's love to children mm. because I realized that they can't, they can't understand even at their young age. So my love for Jesus grew and I desired to become like my DVBS teachers. And when I attended the Nazarene summer youth camp when I was in third year high school, mm. I believe that's like... 11th grade for you guys or okay. yeah about that time cool God touched my heart and changed me in many ways so I understood that my identity is in him and that he calls me to live a holy life a life that loves God with my all and loves my neighbor and so he gave me mm. this huge burden to share this love to the people like my friends my my classmates my neighbors. Hmm. Um, so I wanted to live my life serving the Lord. Um, I started to love God's word and started to walk with Jesus uh, day by day. And as a teenager, I became involved with NYI and district youth camps and gatherings. And these involvements kind of um, helped me to understand the commission Jesus had given his disciples. Hmm. So um, the way the church trained me for ministry and gave me all these opportunities paved the way for the discovery of my calling to full-time ministry. But I did not obey that call right away. Because <laughs> um, on that same time in 2000, February 2000, my father started his full-time ministry as a pastor. Oh, wow. So um, he used to be an engineer. Mm. And he also had a call to become a pastor when he was in college, but he ran away from his call. Wow. So when I was um, in, on my third year in high school, that's when he recommitted his life and left his job and went to the seminary and became a full-time pastor. Wow. So our life kind of changed after that. Mm. <laughs> I mean, when he was still working, we would probably do things because we had extra money and then suddenly this shift in you know the life um mm. we had to watch our finances and i did not like that <laughs> <laughs> it's like i sensed the lord calling me to ministry but i did not want to live this pastor's life yeah. um i wanted to have a luxurious uh life and spend on my own comfort comforts yeah you know yeah. Um, but I was given different opportunities to serve the church, and I loved every bit of it. But I said maybe I would just um, do something I wanted to do and use that to serve the Lord, mm. kind of um, like performing arts. Mm. So maybe I can just do evangelistic plays and serve in that capacity and at the back of my head earn some money for myself, you know. I don't know what I was thinking back then, but I applied at this university and took up theater arts and I loved it. <laughs> mm. 
But after a year of doing that, I attended again a youth camp and the Lord spoke to my heart. Wow. Um, he spoke and I remember I had this um, devotion after that week and I was just trying to avoid the Lord, you know, like, Lord, okay, I know you're calling me, but I want to do this thing and I don't want to do what you want me to do. Um, uh, it has to be my terms. But um, I remember on one of my devotionals, it was the passage on what's that? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm -hmm. And you know how he called the disciples. Uh, I asked them to pray with him because mm. He was going to be crucified the next day, but yeah. the disciples were sleeping. Right. And after several times of waking them up and telling them, hey, can't you stay awake for a moment and pray with me? Mm. Um, that spoke to me because I felt like one of the disciples. I, I felt like the disciples just choosing their comfort over following what Jesus was wanting them to do. Ugh. And so when 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 it was time and he was arrested and you know the disciples were probably groggy at that time. I was like, "Oh no, I don't want to that to happen that okay, time is up. You did not obey me." Mm. And I felt this sense of, "Okay, I have to leave everything now and follow the Lord." Mm. So I told my parents that I'm going to leave the university and go to the Bible college. And guess what? I don't know if my father will hear this later, but he's like, no, 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 no. Don't leave the university. <laughs> he was like, don't leave the university. You can go to seminary later, finish this first, and right. then go to seminary later. Right. And I actually wrote a letter because I could not talk to them. I was so emotional. I had to write the letter kind of like telling them what was going on in my oh. heart. But when my father said, don't go, even though he was a pastor already and he had this experience before and mm. was not very supportive at the beginning, I told him, I don't want to become like you. I don't want to wait until later and not follow him now. So I went to Faith Bible College and took my Bachelor of Arts in Theology. Wow. So I became a senior pastor and I graduated and I was 21 years old. Wow. And even though I, I'm a woman, I was young back then and was not yet married, um, I felt the support and encouragement from the leaders, actually. Mm. Unlike the way our society most of the time looked down look down on certain social status and gender our church has allowed me to express my god-given gifts and calling and flourish in the ministry mm. so I, I think there's only one person <laughs> that had a comment on that well not because i was a i'm a woman but he said well you should have a doctorate first before you could become a pastor wow. and I, that kind of like triggered me to be like no i i am gonna I am going to say yes to whatever the Lord wants me to do because when I was about to graduate, they offered me this position to pastor the church in Mirahol Church and um, there was another candidate and I felt like, oh, I'm not qualified for this. This person is more qualified. I am a woman. I'm single and very young, but it's like the Lord spoke to me and said, well, where in the Bible does it say that you have to be old, you have to be a man only or 
that you have to be married only before you could be a pastor. Yeah. And then that person said that to me and it kind of made me, no, I'm obeying, I'm going. <laughs> so yeah, that was my, that was my journey. And then I became a pastor at age 21. Oh man. So, so did you, did you start that senior pastor position before you graduated or just after you graduated? After I graduated. Oh, right. Okay. And where is this? This was in Miracle Church of the Nazarene in the Philippines. Okay. So you become this senior pastor at age 21. Tell me all about it. What was it like? <laughs> well, it was exciting because I I love to share the word. And um, I was young. And I think even though I was young, I had this personality that I want to lead people. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> um, the people in the church were actually very supportive. Well, I did not tell you that this was the same church where my father pastored. And so when he resigned, he resigned because he felt the Lord calling him to go to the Bible college to teach at the Bible college. Wow. And so he resigned and the board had their meeting and they were looking for their candidates and I was one of the the nominees. Wow. And I said that I felt the support because they did not hesitate to um, kind of choose me. And so um, it was not hard to lead them or be a, the pastor because I had been serving in that church since I was 15 years old. Wow. So I think that prepared for me that the Lord prepared that for me so that I would um, flourish and grow. I think the only challenge was when, well, I'm trying to think of a time that people actually questioned me for being a pastor Mm. because I was young and a woman. But I think it was more like, can you please explain to us what Paul was saying about women you know, in in that passage that women should not teach. And oh. so I just explained it. So I shared about that context and they were like, oh, okay, that's good to understand. How do you, how did you, do you mind telling us how, how you explained that? Okay, um, I explained that when Paul said that, it was because of the context of the time that the women who were causing this trouble in the church should not be causing trouble at that particular moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just explained that it was for that particular church. Yeah. Because if you look at other passages, he had other women who worked with him and he did not tell them like you should not be working. He actually worked with other women mm. in ministry, but in that particular church these women were causing trouble so they should remain silent. Mm. <laughs> I kind of like that's a summary of how I explained that. So no, we did great. kind of an exegesis of this whole passage, and uh, they understood it, and that was great. That's awesome. <laughs> I think um, the other challenge that I had when I was pastoring in that church was that I wasn't married yet. So um, as a young woman, I had a hard time reaching out to the older men because mm. I know that the men have their struggles and Mm. they have their issues and it feels kind of awkward to be sitting in a room with just another older man so in in some cases when they had um, issues with their wives or when they had issues with their families I referred them to my Mm. parents or I I referred them to other 
people that could help them better. And there was another um, person in the board who was really a good servant of the Lord, and he was a layman, but he he helped me. So, and there was a problem with one, you know, some older men. I would say, maybe you could talk with brother so-and-so, and then maybe you could have a wonderful time and pray for each other. I did not deal with everything. Yeah. <laughs> but it would have been nice if I had, like, a partner back then, and then I could say, like, hey, you meet with this person. Yeah. <laughs> but it was amazing. Um, I really enjoyed my time in that small church. But mm. How long were you there? I was there from 2007 to the end of to December 2013 so like four years so kind of tell me about the timeline there where did you go from there so I resigned from the church so that I could go full-time in the seminary um, because I was at the seminary while I was pastoring and it was really hard to focus Um, but when I was in the seminary studying full-time at the seminary, an opportunity came to join a short-term missions trip. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've heard about 12-7 Serve. And um, this was an initiative of the Global NYI in partnership with the Mesoamerica region. Hmm. Um, And this initiative um, wanted to gather 12 young people from all over the world and... Um, to send them to about seven sites in the Mesoamerica region. So it was an opportunity for short-term missions. Mm -hmm. And I heard about this opportunity while I was at the seminary. I I wasn't pastoring anymore at this time. And I sensed that the Lord was wanting me to join this trip. (laughs) It was crazy because it caused a lot of dilemma for me. Um, especially with the people around me and the people close to me telling me that didn't you resign from the church so that you could finish your um, seminary, um, finish your MDiv, and and why are you considering this now? Why are you going to go to this short-term missions trip? Mm. So I I had a hard time, but I sensed this, you know, like the Lord was nudging me to, to go. So I talked to our regional youth coordinator at that time and said that, I think I'm interested in joining this trip because he he told me about it. Oh, and so I said I'm gonna pray about this because I'm having this turmoil inside me that I should be here, I should be studying. I left the church for this, but why is this opportunity now before me, Lord? Why did you tell me about this, and you're just gonna bring me into this kind of dilemma? Mm. So some people said, well you could learn so many things in that short-term mission trip that you will never learn inside the classroom. Well, sure. And so that was, yeah, those were good leaders. I mean, model leaders for me. And some people in the seminary (laughs) (laughs) were also model leaders for me. And they were like, no, don't go. You are called to do this and you should finish it. And um, you should be faithful to this. Mm. Um, It was, I heard even an, a hurtful remark because one person said, well, maybe you just wanted to travel all around the world. That's why you want to join um, this trip. So there were so many voices at this point in time that I said, 
okay, I'm not going to listen to anyone. I'm not going to seek your advice. I'm just going to talk to the Lord right now. Lord, what do you want me to do? Yeah. What is this? So um, I went on a fast for a week and just praying and like seeking him. And the voice became loud and clear when I was reading the passage. Remember um, when when the angel appeared to Mary mm. and Mary said, I'm the bondservant of the Lord, may it be unto me as you've said. Mm. That spoke to me at that moment because it said, the angel said, nothing is impossible with God. And one of the things that was stopping me was the money aspect. Mm. Uh, one of the requirements of this trip was also um, to raise $2,000 for the whole six months. And for our economy in the Philippines, that's a lot of money. Sure. <laughs> so... Aside from the fact that I should be in seminary, mm. I also have that other reason why I was hesitating. Yeah. But after I heard God's word, I messaged our regional youth coordinator and I said, okay, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying yes to this. And then he said, okay, you need to raise about $3,000 more for your airfare. <laughs> oh. And then back again to crying and seeking the Lord and say, Lord, did I make a mistake? Because 2000 was already a big amount of money and now there's this extra amount for the airfare. Oh, man. But you know what? The Lord was really preparing me for this and He provided the money and used people that I don't even know. Mm. You know, I put out a blog explaining about this trip and people read the blog and they supported even though I didn't know them. Wow. So I sensed that the Lord was really, the Lord's hand was on this and he was wanting me to go on this trip. And mm. so I went and it was about six months and that's when the Lord spoke to me about cross-cultural missions. Well, tell me all about it. Where did, where did you actually go? We went to seven sites. We went to St. Kitts and Nevis. That was the first site. Then we went to Haiti. Then we went to the Dominican Republic. We went to Mexico. We went to Guatemala. Then to, well, Costa Rica was like the the break. Mm. And then to Panama. Wow. So we went to these places. And the theme verse of that that short-term mission strip was Romans 12, 7. If your gift is to serve serve them well. Oh, so wow. we we just wanted to serve and be an example to the young people in that region that they too could be missionaries wherever mm. they're from. Because, mm. you know, sometimes the idea is that missionaries only come from one area if you have the money or you don't have problems with visas <laughs> like I had. Right. But um, it was like an example that the Lord can use you. The Lord can call you even if you're a young person. So mm. the 12 of us were traveling to these places, helping out with evangelists and discipleship and whatever um, initiative they had to help with the church plant. Wow. And that's what we did for six months. And so um, during one of those Play, uh, in one of those places, I had an experience when we shared the gospel. I believe that was in Mexico. I shared the gospel. We went house to house and knocking on the door, sharing the gospel. And I was sharing about Jesus dying on the cross. And I asked the person I was talking to, and I said, so do you know what happened after that? Because Jesus died and he was buried. Do you know what happened after that? 
And, you know, she was following the story and her eyes were so big at this point. And she was like, what happened? And my heart was just like exploding at that moment. And I was like, he rose again from the dead. You haven't heard about this? She was like, no, no. And that was like a turning point for me. I was like, wow, I always assume being, you know, like from the Philippines that people know about Jesus and I've heard about the story. I assume that people have heard this story and they all know about it. But this encounter led me to this realization that, hey, there are many people that have not heard about this story yet yeah. and they need to hear. And so God spoke to me. And when we were in the NYC in Panama, when they had this challenge for for people who would like to um, respond to their Genesis program, which is mm. like their mobiliza- mobilization program mm. in that region, I went forward and I just said like, okay, Lord God, I'm yours. Send me wherever, wherever there are people, you know, the unreached people groups who haven't heard about you. Send me there, send me there. And I just gave my life in this, you know, abandon. (laughs) Like, Lord, use me wherever you want me to Mm. go. Um, So I went back to the Philippines. I still had a year of seminary left. So I, I, I finished in 2013. That that was the story. <laughs> so how did you end up doing what you're doing now? So my husband and I are now on special assignment, currently assigned as missionaries to Japan. This story is kind of connected to my husband's call as well. Mm. Um, my husband is Colombian. Wow. So he's from South America. And when he was nine years old, I think he started watching these shows from Japan and I think it was NHK that showed um, about technology and all the culture and interesting things about Japan he would watch these shows and an interest in him kind of grew about this country so when he became a Christian at age 16 he learned that there was not a lot of Christians in Japan about 1% or less than 2%. And that spoke to his heart. Mm. He sensed the Lord calling him to be a missionary to Japan. Wow. So he um, said to the teacher when he was studying at the Bible College in Ecuador that I sensed the Lord calling me to be a missionary to Japan. What should I do? (laughs) And this teacher said, well, maybe you should go to the Philippines. We have a seminary in the Philippines and you could prepare there before you go to Japan because that's in Asia. But he was like, Philippines, what's that? (laughs) He (laughs) thought it was like a city. He didn't even think it was a country. And so he went to Facebook and typed the name of the seminary, Asia Pacific Nazarene Theological Seminary, and added some of the students he did not add me as one of you know the people that showed up on Facebook, but one of my friends became his friend. And so they started talking about how to get to the seminary, and this friend of mine introduced him to me. You know, it turned into something else. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so when he came to the Philippines, um, we were already in a relationship even before he came to the Philippines. Oh, wow. And so we had this conversation like, oh, I wanted to be a missionary to Japan and this is my call. And 
that was even before my missions trip. So mm. at that point in time, I didn't know that God was calling me to be a missionary. And so that trip that I participated in mm-hmm. was really God kind of preparing me for what's next. Wow. So um, when he finished in 2014, when he graduated for his MDiv, we talked with the leaders in the region mm. and expressed that we want to serve in Japan. Remember, he has this more specific call to serve in Japan. And I was just like, Lord, send me wherever. Right, right. So they said, okay, that's that's not a good plan. But as of the moment, we don't have an opening to, to go to Japan. How mm. about this area? Which I cannot mention because it's kind of like a creative access area. Sure. But would you like to go to this place? And so... My husband, Anderson, and I started talking and we were like, okay, we need to pray because I know that the Lord's calling you to go to Japan, but there's no opportunity for us to go there. So we are also looking up to our leaders and maybe we should follow their their guidance as of this moment. Mm. So they told us, okay, you need to find a job in order to go to this other place. So maybe you could be a Spanish teacher and you could be like an English teacher. You know, you have to find creative ways to, to enter the country. So we found this school online and we tried to apply. It was a very long application, but mm. they did not respond. <laughs> oh, um, you know, sometimes if you, you're not going to accept someone, you should at least say something, right? right? But they did not say anything. So I was like, okay, that's weird. Maybe we need to wait some more. But then a missionary who was assigned here in Okinawa went to the Philippines together with the superintendent of his son's school. Oh. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they went to the Philippines at that moment, and they were looking for chaplain, a mm. chaplain at the school. And so they thought of my husband, and, you know, this missionary recalled, uh, I know this guy has a call to go to Japan. Maybe we should talk to him. Mm. So they started talking to my husband about the opportunity to become a chaplain. So we talked to the to the regional leaders and we said, hey, there's this opportunity here. And we prayed and we just, you know, waited on God. But at first I was saying, no, we should not do that because this is where they're leading us. But at the end I said, okay, let's let's sign Let's sign up for that. Let's apply and let's see which one, which school would reply first. Yeah. So after a couple of weeks, the school in Okinawa replied and the other school did not reply. Mm. So we were like, okay, Lord God, what are you doing here? <laughs> are you opening a door for us to enter um, Japan? Mm. So at first we were hesitant because in the past when my husband um, wanted to go to Japan for um, to to be the uh, pastors to be the pastor at a at the church in Okinawa mm-hmm. because the missionaries were gonna go on furlough. He was denied the the visa. Oh wow! So we were thinking, okay, we're gonna try this out, but uh, maybe the visa would be complicated. But the visa was approved right away. And so we saw that the Lord was really opening up the door for us and mm. was affirming his call to serve here in Japan. So that's how we entered <laughs> this country. And after two years of that contract with the school, we resigned. And now we are actually 
special assignment connected with the district mm. um, of Japan. Because before, remember, there was no opening. Oh, right. But then the Lord, the Lord had his own opening. <laughs> he opened <laughs> the doors somewhere else so we could be here. But now um, we are with the Japan district and working as special assignment missionaries. That's awesome. What a cool story. So kind of tell me about ministry there. What's it like? <laughs> it's really difficult. Not like my experiences in the Philippines or in other places, because here's a country that is so open. There's no persecution here, but there's just um, no interest. Mm. Or how do I explain this? I think there's this high level of trust that you need to build before they would open up or mm. before you could start, you know, a, a deeper relationship or even be able to share about the, the gospel. Mm. Um, ministry here needs to be creative as well because you really have to build relationship with the people so that you can have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Mm. We have many churches here. There's about almost 70 churches here. Wow. But the reality is that the membership of the Church of the Nazarene is decreasing because mm. the members were the ones that received the Lord Jesus when it was after World War. So mm. many of them are old, and I think they're having a hard time to reach the generation after them. So yeah. as the population has been declining in this country, it's the same for the Church of the Nazarene. Mm. So that's why we need to help and we need to pray for, for the ministry here because we really need to come up with creative ways and to partner with the church so that we could reach this generation. So, for example, for us, um, we are involved in one of the churches here. Um, it's called Urasoi Church of the Nazarene. And we are discipling the young people and helping them to realize that church is not just about what we do on Sundays. It's not just about, you know, going to the church, attending the service, and then going back to our lives as if, you know, there's this disconnect yeah. with our relationship with the Lord and our daily life. We have to partner with them and help them understand that we have to share the good news to our friends and to our neighbors because sadly it can become really busy yeah there's this demand from work and school that i guess it's hard to talk about other things um yeah. they're so focused with what they need to do mm. and so for missionaries like us <laughs> the added challenge would be the language yeah cuz not a lot of people could speak in English, and so you need to learn the language in order to, you know, build the relationship with them mm. and also the culture. Yeah. <laughs> Things are just so different. And so sometimes it can get discouraging because my frame of reference is the Philippines and how, you know, you start talking with people and then they share their lives and then you can share the gospel right away. It's not mm. that easy, you know, yeah. relationship. But here it takes more time. Things mm. seem slower, but you just have to be consistent and build relationship with people and pray that God opens 
the door that he would give the opportunity to share about him. Yeah. What What's your favorite part about ministry there? I think my favorite part as of the moment is being able to invite young people <laughs> to our home. Mm. Right now, my husband is studying at the university, the university, the Japanese language. He's studying the Japanese language at the university oh, wow. so that he would become fluent. And through that university, we're getting to know students. And so one of the ways we have um, thought of building the relationship is to invite them to our home and share a meal with them and play video games with them. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm a very relational person, so I I like that. People are kind of scared when you tell them, let's go to church. They would probably say no to that. But when Mm. you say, let's go to our home, let's... Let's eat and play and have a fun time. They get excited. So as of the moment, um, that's one of the things we're doing. I have been praying for God to touch their hearts so that they would ask questions about about us. And just recently, the Lord has answered that prayer. And this, this Japanese student said, so why did you choose to become a missionary why are you a Christian? And, you know, this curiosity about what we do in our lives um, opens up a lot of things. And mm. we are able to share about Jesus. But sometimes, you know, it's hard to just say, hey, I need to share with you this and this. But right. the Lord is really the one working in their hearts. And that's an encouraging thing for me. And I love that. So that's one of the exciting things here and also the second one is partnering with the young people since i work as the asia pacific regional youth coordinator i get to connect to the youth leaders Mm. um in this district and it's a good conversation to have because sometimes if i get to share what other people are doing in other countries that they could also do here then you see their excitement that oh It's just that they're so used to what they've been doing and they're not exposed to other things that they they were not able to explore that option. And so to see them excited and to see them come up with ideas how they could connect to the non-believers or their friends is just it's just exciting. That's awesome. So tell me about what it means to be the NYI Asia Pacific Regional Coordinate Youth Coordinator. What do you do? What is that role like? How do you facilitate that? As the regional youth coordinator, I partner with the field youth coordinators in the region. So for the Asia Pacific, we have six fields. Okay. And each field has their field youth coordinator. So I work closely with these field youth coordinators. I kind of disciple them and I network with them, um, mentor them, coach them, and just share life so that they would be enabled to um, build relationships with the district presidents under them. Mm. So under a field, there are several districts. Okay. And we know that we have the NYI district presidents. Okay. And they would then work closely with those district presidents mm. so that the district presidents would feel supported and empowered and encouraged and listened to. Because sometimes, you know, as youth leaders, we can feel alone. I remember when I was a local youth leader that 
I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to go to. My pastor was busy. So I have to find things out by myself. But yeah. if my district president, district NY president is there for me, mm. then I can have that support. And I have a person that I could connect to, not just so I could do things for NYI, but also to to look after my own spiritual journey or encourage me when I'm also leading other young people. Mm. So on the district level, they can feel very lonely too. But if they have this relationship with the field youth coordinators, mm. then they would feel encouraged. They, If they need resources, they know who to go to. And then the field youth coordinators would direct them to other people. So... Mm. So there's this whole relationship because the important part is the local church and we want to give that kind of support. So we support the local leaders by supporting the district president and I support the field youth coordinators so that we could we could all do um, our task of evan evangelism and discipleship and leadership development, the core strategies of NYI. So yeah. that's my role. <laughs> like the resource for for these core strategies and just aiding in um, building relationships and discipling the leaders. <laughs> it's an exciting job, actually. It, is, it sounds like it. What's your most favorite thing to do? What is your calling? When you think about being a pastor, what is it that motivates you? What motivates me is, you know, how we can learn together as the body of Christ as we we have community and learn from each other and help each other in the spiritual journey. That's something that excites me because I think um, as we grow to become more like Jesus, you don't get there by doing it alone. Mm. You know, this journey needs um, other, we need other people. We need the community in order to, um, grow together in yeah. order to find support and see the love of Christ through the love of the people around us. So mm. I think one of my passions is um, small groups. <laughs> you know how sometimes in the church, it's easy to be so busy with so many things and you would go to church and it's just one of your check, one of the things on your checklist. Mm. You would sit down and listen to the pastor as if, being entertained. <laughs> Sorry, I would say it like that. But sometimes you just go there and sit and kind of critic everyone. And you know, it's all about you. What will I get out of this? Yeah. But we forget that we should be like a family, like a community. And we have to gather together and talk about real life, share mm. life and talk about our struggles and talk about how we can help each other as we share our struggles. And mm look at the scripture together and know that you're accepted even though you're going through a difficult time and um, even though you're tempted in every way that there's someone there that prays for you. One of the things that I did when I was in the Philippines was to train small group leaders. And that's really a passion of mine. Um, mm. Even up to this point, if there are opportunities to to have workshops with our leaders all over the region, I want to share about small groups because I think it's easy to just go to the church and then go home and then forget about, you know, the other people in the church. But that's not how we should live. We should live in a in a community of believers mm. and 
be able to know that there's there's this other person there for you as you walk in this on this journey. So kind of saying we're all in this together. You know, if you're going through a difficult time, I'm going to be there for you. We're going to go through it together. It's not easy to um, be involved in one because mm. it takes a lot of transparency yeah. or I guess vulnerability because you're sharing your life. Yeah. But I think that's what holiness is about. We mm. have to share about our struggles and we have to share about what we are going through mm. and to hear that the Holy Spirit is there encouraging us, enabling us and giving us the power to live the life that God wants us to have. So through these small groups that we've had in the church, I did not mention that when I graduated from the seminary, before we went, we, before we came here to Japan, I also pastored in another church as the youth pastor, an associate oh. pastor in Tai Tai First Church of the Nazarene. And mm. one of the things we did was to set up small groups. One of the pastors talked to me in the seminary when we were still classmates. I was not yet the youth pastor in that place. And he told me, Jana, what should we do? Because we are so good at attracting all of these young people in the church. Like, really, they're so good coming up with all of these events, coming up with ways to bring the young people to church. But after three months, they kind of start going out, leave the church, stop attending. Yeah. But there's always a lot of young people because they're so good. And you see, sometimes... In the church, we are so good at bringing the people in and forgetting that, you know, they're not just numbers. Yeah. <laughs> they're not just numbers that you could report, hey, I have 200 young people tonight. Yay, we have a lot of people that attended this event. Mm. No, there's more to the person. And we're all called to become like Jesus. And we have to make disciples, like we said. So what do we do after the show? <laughs> I told this this friend I think we need to gather the young people into small groups where they could share their life where they mm. could share what they're going through sometimes you sit in church and you don't know that this other person is going through a difficult time right <laughs> have you experienced that yes like, yes you are there in church there's this other person with a big smile on their face and you don't even know that that person was going through a really, really, really difficult time. Yeah. And I became aware of that when I was pastoring the church that I mentioned to you about when we had this one young person not attending the events. <laughs> Every time we invite her, she just doesn't, she just doesn't attend. And one time when I said, hey, would you like to go with me to the mall and this person was excited and so I realized oh this person likes to go to the mall but doesn't want to go to the church but as we were talking in the mall I started to learn more about her family mm. that she was having a problem with her college mm. with her friends and I was like wow we need groups like this that would talk about the realities of life and yeah find encouragement from the scripture, and find support. So in those small groups that we've set up in Tai Tai First Church, 
people started to stay and leaders were developed out of that mm. because we tried to teach them how, you know, they could facilitate these groups and how they could train other leaders to facilitate their own groups. Mm. And there was discipleship. It was not just like entertaining people. Hey, come to this event. We'll entertain you. And without this follow up on, hey, how could we become more like Jesus in mm. our daily life, in our in our things? And so I get really passionate about that. That's what makes me excited as a pastor to tell the other person that there's more to this. You've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. There's more to this. The journey is going to continue and we're here for you. Come on, let's meet in a small group and let's study the word together. And it's a safe place where you could share what you're going through and you will find support. That's awesome. I love that so much. So, you know, the last question I ask everybody is, what inspires you to stay in the Church of the Nazarene? What is it that's keeping you here? What inspires me to stay is our um, distinctive belief in holiness. Mm. And, you know, our beliefs shape the way we walk on our spiritual journey. And what I, what Jesus did on the cross um, the belief that Jesus work on the cross is not just a ticket to heaven, yeah, <laughs> but a way for his image to be renewed in us is such a powerful encouragement. I love that about our church, that it is possible to be holy. And people would probably say, what are you saying now? Only God is holy, but we could say like, no, it's actually possible to be holy because he made it possible. His yeah. work on the cross is not just a ticket to heaven. Mm. It is so that you would, you and I would be holy. And that can be seen not just, you know, like not just because I go to church, but he, he changes us. He makes us more like him. It is his work and that we can be like Jesus here and now we don't have to wait until we die <laughs> yeah and that just inspires me to preach that message because every time we face the daily struggles on how to forgive or how to love others or you know this person is so difficult right now I don't like this person but how you know how could we love this person then we go back to what Jesus has done for us and what the Holy Spirit is continuously doing in our hearts. That, mm. you know, His grace is at work in us. He is perfecting us. He is perfecting His love in us. And mm. so Jesus overcame. We too can overcome through the Holy Spirit's help. And that is what's making me want to stay. <laughs> I'm staying because because I, I think other churches don't have this belief. I've, I've heard that, you know, you cannot really be holy in this life. And I'm not saying that I'm holier than thou, but I'm saying I'm going through a lot of struggles. But I am encouraged that what we teach is that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And he is doing the work as we surrender our lives to him. Mm. He's changing us day by day. And I identify with this message of hope because, um, you know, this world is a broken world, but God's love is there. God's grace is there. And yeah, our church believes in that. <laughs> it's amazing. I love that. Can I ask you, um, what does holiness mean to you? Holiness for me 
is, you know, when we say we can become more like Jesus, it means, you know, how he denied himself Mm. and how he went to the cross and loved sinners, loved this unlovable world Mm. full of sin. And to be holy, when we say to be like him, then we deny ourselves and we we love the people who are, you know, not lovable in our standards, the people that have hurt us, the people that do bad things to us, the people that we don't like, not because I can do it on my own, Mm. but because he is doing that in me. Mm. And for me, holiness is about, you know, like renewing this image of God in me that, was broken because of sin that before I would always turn to myself and what I want. It's all about me, 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 me. But when we ask Jesus to change us, to make us more like him, his Holy Spirit would work in us and would make us more like him in his love and in the way he was obedient to the father and denied himself. So Mm. I think it's not just um, the attendance to the church or like, the checklist that we have doing the things that's expected of us, but also denying ourselves in like looking at the person beside us, the relationships Mm. around us. How do we love others? (laughs) Mm. Are we only loving the ones that deserve it or, or the ones that are hard to love? Mm. And so holiness is about what, what the Lord is doing in us in all of these relationships. Thank you for that. If somebody had a question for you or was inspired by your story and wanted to say thanks, where can they reach you? How can they find you? They can find me on Facebook. <laughs> Facebook.com slash January, I believe, is the URL. Or maybe through email as well. It's easy. It's nyi at apnaz.org. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much, too.